Welcome to the Lead to Win podcast, the podcast where we explore strategies, mindsets, and stories behind successful leadership and personal development. I'm your host, Bo Bergen. Let's do it. Excited for this conversation today as I welcome Darren Peppard to the show. As a leadership coach at Road to Awesome LLC, Darren helps leaders on their journey to gain clarity, walk in purpose, and find joy in their professional lives. With over 10 years of experience in educational leadership and administration, Darren has a passion for mentoring, developing, and supporting educators and administrators at all levels. Darren is also a professional speaker and the author of Road to Awesome, The Journey of a Leader, a book that shares insights and strategies on how to create a positive culture, build trust, and lead with impact. He's been recognized as the 2015 Jostens National Educator of the Year, the Wyoming Principal of the Year in 2016, and is a member of the Renaissance Hall of Fame 2019. Darren, welcome and thanks for coming on today. Yeah, absolutely, Bo. Thanks so much for having me on, man. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, for sure. I always uh, love getting education people on here because that's that's what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm excited to get your insights on some of this. Uh, so kind of take us through your leadership journey and how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I was a public educator for 26 years and actually started out as a middle school teacher, uh, which was probably the last place I ever thought I would I would be but really enjoyed being a middle school educator. I was a high school teacher for uh, six years, uh, five years uh, as middle school, six years as, as a high school teacher. I was a head coach. Uh, I was a head basketball coach. I was a head tennis coach. And I mean, that's kind of probably where that, that leadership journey began. Um, it was my second year as a classroom teacher when my principal, my then principal, uh, Betsy brought me uh, into the leadership journey, I suppose, with that tap on the shoulder saying, you know, hey, you should consider, you know, going into leadership and, and you know, pursuing a career in leadership. Um, after 11 years as a classroom teacher, I um, returned to my home state of Wyoming. Go Pokes. Nobody else will say it, so I have to. And uh, returning back to Wyoming, I uh, was an assistant principal at the high school level. I actually held that role, uh, uh, two different roles as an assistant principal. I was in charge of discipline and attendance at first. And then moved into a role that had me overseeing curriculum, instruction, special programs. From there, I became a high school principal. Absolutely loved being a high school principal. Still to this day, you know, uh, will introduce myself as a recovering high school principal. Uh, I was my daughter's high school principal, which was an incredible experience. And then my final four years in education, uh, formally in education, I was a superintendent in the mountains in Colorado. I had a beautiful, beautiful little area that I was able to call home for four years. And in 2021, I, I decided to follow a real true passion of mine, and that's growing leaders. Um, as a high school principal, once I kind of got myself figured out, got my feet under, under me and, you know, kind of had, uh, had moved out of the firefighter world and was spending more time as a leader, I fell in love with growing my assistant principals, with growing department heads, with growing aspiring leaders in my school. And that just became like this big passion of mine. Um, I actually took the superintendent job because I thought it was going to give me the opportunity to coach more leaders. And that's, that couldn't be further from the truth, um, as, it, as it turned out. 
and just decided, you know what, it's, it's time. I'd written the book. You mentioned the book. I'm sure we'll talk about that at a point. And uh, that and the speaking, you know, stuff had really started to take off. And I wanted to get out and coach leaders. And my mm -hmm. wife and I launched Road to Awesome, uh, which is our LLC. We do quite a few things, uh, the leadership coaching, my speaking, and then we also uh, have a small publishing business as a part of uh, Road to Awesome. So that's, I guess that's um, maybe a long-winded answer, but I guess it's a lengthy career. So maybe that's yeah. part of it. Absolutely. So speaking of your, your organization, talk a little bit about that, Road to Awesome, and, you know, I've... I would like to learn more about the books you've written. Um, who's, who's kind of your target audience for that? And who yeah. do you think could benefit the most from just any of the work you do? Right. Absolutely. So um, we started Road to Awesome as honestly kind of a passion project, uh, the, the publishing side of our business. And a big part of that was when my first book was published, uh, Road to Awesome, Empower, Lead, Change the Game, uh, it was published by a different company. And I had actually considered self-publishing. I had really thought long and hard about that, had an opportunity to, to go with a different company, you know, and that was fine. And, and that went really well. And then um, my wife and I started talking about what would we do if I transitioned full-time into this leadership coaching and speaking space. And we, we really felt like there were a lot of people that were out there who have wonderful stories that need to be shared, educators who have wonderful stories that need to be shared. And sometimes that availability wasn't there for them. So we thought, you know what, this would be a great opportunity for us to, you know, help some of those individuals out. And I mean, a, a big part of what we do, our, our mission statement is to, um, is to elevate, or, or rather, is to cultivate leaders by elevating voices and promoting positivity. That's what we're all about. And that elevating voices part is the, the book branch of what we do, which is all about books by educators for educators. So, you know, who is our tar target audience? That's our target audience right there. We've, we've done books uh, from authors all over um, I can't even say just in the United States, we have, we have one author from Canada. So, uh, you know, we've definitely had, you know, a little bit of international flavor to the books that we've done. And at this point we've published, I think about 25 books. Uh, we continue to have more books on the way. Uh, myself, I've done two, uh, well, I guess three, we did a second edition of my book. Uh, the updated second edition is Road to Awesome, The Journey of a Leader. And that released just over a year ago, uh, very early, early February in 2023 is when that book was released and um, also did uh, another book titled Road to Awesome, uh, A Journey for Kids, which was a, a children's book collaboration with an absolutely brilliant, brilliant uh, educator and illustrator named Jillian Du Bois, who's out of uh, um, the uh, Tampa, Florida area. And uh, mm -hmm. um for me, I think it's it's about helping fill those individual niches, those needs that educators have. Uh, you know, one of our early books uh, is a book by a lady named Debbie Tannenbaum. She's a elementary technology coach, and her book is just this fantastic journey of how you utilize technology to engage your students in meaningful ways, especially with littles. Um, mm -hmm. 
we've you know we have books in so many different different areas but but that's just a portion of of road to awesome the other the other side of it is that leadership coaching and the speaking part and um you know the speaking is just it's carrying that that message that is road to awesome that um that you know we all need to focus on building those positive cultures and climates in our school that we need to ensure that we're providing great leadership and honestly, that we're showing up as our best self each and every day. So, I mean, I, I can, I can riff on this for hours, but that's, that's in essence what we're all about. That's awesome. Sounds like you got it rolling for sure. Um, so from your yeah. viewpoint, what would you say is the current state of affairs and education as a whole? Yeah. You know, I think, I think most people would automatically assume that, you know, I'm going to go to, well, boy, we're in a dark place or we're really struggling, but I don't think that that's true. I think we definitely have some challenges in education right now. I'm not going to pretend that we don't, but I think we still have so many hardworking educators, so many incredible human beings that are out there doing everything they can each and every day, you know, for, and on behalf of kids. So, um, you know, I know we're going to probably talk about it at a point. We struggle a little bit with recruiting and retaining teachers right now. We're struggling a little bit with recruiting and retaining administrators. And honestly, in many ways, education mirrors what we're seeing in society. The uh, just the change in how and what we do for a living um, has hit every industry. Education is not mm -hmm. immune there. A former teacher that uh, that I had hired when I was a principal actually reached out to me earlier today, just sharing with me how how he's looking at you know another potential path in in his educational career that would that would actually take him from being a building level principal to you know now stepping into a consulting space similar to where I am. Education is strong, but I think we definitely are at a place where we're going through a bit of a shakeup and I think everybody's just trying to kind of get their feet under them and decide, mm -hmm. you know, just how far do we want to transfer or transform what we're doing in education. Um, I, I think we're finally starting to um, shake free uh, of those last lingering pockets of old traditional education. I think more and more people are, you know, making those moves more and more districts, more and more schools are moving forward and, you know, trying to meet kids where they are and trying to help kids be prepared for life after school, um, because that's ultimately what this is all about. You know, our work is mm -hmm. about taking a little person and helping them be a better little person. And ultimately, that little person is somebody we're going to send out into the world, whether that's the mm -hmm. world of work, that's the world of, of college, of trade school, you know, whatever it might be our job is to help them be prepared. So um, we still have a lot of great people who are working hard to do that. I think that's important to remember, especially right now, because like you said, the first thing that comes to people's minds is negative, you know, and how many right. people are leaving the profession and how hard it is in the classroom. But yeah, you're right. There are still those, those warriors out there that are still fighting for kids yeah. every day. And it, it's refreshing when you, when you really step back and remember that. So easy, I think, to to you know to show that narrative of the people that are leaving the mm -hmm. you know negative this and that. I mean, you know, you you can't go on TikTok without you know finding a whole bunch of teachers who are either 
you know, maybe, maybe not being overly positive or, you know, on, doing a dance in their classroom on TikTok, which I don't think helps anybody out either. Um, right. Other than maybe it gets some more followers. Maybe that's about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, we, we need more people that are really carrying that positive narrative because there really is a lot of great things still happening in education. Yeah, absolutely. So through your time, both as a leader in education and your time as a speaker, um, in your opinion, what why do you think some schools are successful and others aren't? I think one of the most important pieces, one of the things that's maybe driving success uh, for for really good schools, for for schools that are doing well, and one thing that's that's holding others back is consistency and leadership. Uh, you know, I work with schools all over the country right now, and in many cases, you know, I'm I'm working with you know districts that might have you know, might have gone through three or four superintendents in a in a three or four year period or, you know, high schools that, you know, are on their third principal in five years or what, you know, whatever that case might be. And the schools that that are struggling the most are the ones that don't have really good, clear, consistent leadership. You know, that ties in really well with the conversation about retention and and recruitment. You know, when when you've got good, consistent leadership, I think you have a chance to really have a strong school. Uh, when when I became the high school principal where I was, I was only the third principal in 35 years. I mean, there was a lot of consistency in that mm -hmm. particular community. And um, after I left, I mean, they went through two and three years, uh, you know, and, and I think that they're still feeling the lingering effects um, in that particular school. And that's a pretty common thing where we see, you know, so many leaders that have left the profession or have moved into another role. And now we have a lot of still great people uh, who have stepped into these leadership roles, but they're just not quite prepared. And, you know, that that leads to maybe not having a real clear vision of where you want to take the school it's difficult for a leader early in their career to, I guess, help everybody feel their own part of that vision for the school. And unfortunately, you know, schools tend not to be as successful when there's a lot of leadership change. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've heard the common topic of teacher shortage across the country. Why is it so important for that to be addressed? I know you've touched on it a little bit so far, but, you know, I, I think it's real. Um, you know, sometimes it gets blown out of proportion a little bit, but it's definitely real. I know it's real in my my school district. Why is it so important to to do things to address that? Yeah, it's, it's real in a lot of places. Uh, you know, I, I spoke earlier this week in my home state and had a conversation with uh, an assistant superintendent who's in charge of um, uh, human resources. And he told me, you know, flat out that, um, you know, that the school that they typically look to is the University of Wyoming, and they don't have anywhere near as many individuals who are pursuing education. And, and that's pretty consistent, I think, across the board. Um, I teach a graduate level course for non-traditional uh, uh, educators through Fort Hayes State University in Kansas. And um, you know, there are still some places and Fort Hayes is one of them that is doing a really good job of recruiting people 
into their programs to then recruit them into education. But I think a big piece of it, Bo, goes back to how we talk about it. it it's that 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 narrative that education is not a good place to be. You know, hmm. um, I, I mentioned Fort Hayes. I spoke at a at an event they did uh, last year that was the you know um, aspiring educators day. So you know you've got high school kids coming from all over the state. Actually, they were drawing from multiple states, and you know, 120, 130 kids. And I just asked him point blank, you know, how many of you have heard the narrative that, you know, teachers don't get paid well, or it's not a good profession to be in? Have any of you had somebody tell you, no, don't go into education? And almost every single hand went up in the room. And, you know, first off, kudos to to that many kids who are still saying, no, this is what I want to do. But mm -hmm. when they're hearing it from their own classroom teachers, we're our own worst enemy when it comes to this this recruitment process. When we're telling people, no, nah, don't go into education. You want to go do you know anything else? Don't go into education. I think that's you know we're uh, we're again we're our own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. So talking a, a little bit about recruitment, I believe it's never been more important than right now. Every industry wants to recruit talented people. I mean, that's a, that's a given. What are some things that prospective employees look for when searching for the right fit? If I, if I want to change schools or change, you know, businesses or whatever, what, what is things that I need to look for? And what are things that I, as an employer need to kind of put on my storefront? Right. Absolutely. Well, I think especially our younger generation right now, and this is this is one of those big pieces that education's got to really figure out soon. The the younger generation, they're not going to put down roots, you know, at the first school where they're hired and retire from there 32 years later. That's just mm -hmm. not happening anymore. You know, by far and away, typically uh, the kids that are in that generation, I have a daughter that's in that generation. No, she didn't go into education. She has a business degree. But um, but they are, they're much more mobile. They're much more focused on their own, you know, life outside of school. It, it isn't just simply, you know, that, that they're just going to pour themselves a hundred percent into the school. And that's not a bad thing. We cannot knock them for that. But as a generation, they really do value their social time. They value um, the, the ability to have some flexibility in, in their career path. And so I think as an employer, you know, you want to be able to really embrace that. And, um, what are the things that you can offer them that aren't just about the conditions in a classroom or the conditions, you know, in terms of, you know, what number is going to go in the box on their paycheck. Those are those are important things. And it's not that they won't look at those things. But what about quality of life? You know, when, when I'm trying to recruit somebody into an area, what are the things that, you know, somebody in, you know, that 23 to 30 year old bracket, what, what are they going to do in my community? What type of people are they going to meet? How are they going to make connections that, will encourage them to stay. Um, as, as a superintendent, 
you know, again, I was in the mountains in Colorado. We had a four-day school week. Um, we had two or three ski resorts in the area that um, our employees could ski for free on Fridays. Um, you know, we we leaned heavy into that type of thing when it came to the recruiting, uh, because you know the the people that were looking to come to that area, you know, they were going to bike and they were going to ski, you know, kayak or whatever that you know it might be. And for us, it was let's really, really lean into that and let them know, you know, this is this is what we have to offer. In addition to small class sizes and good teacher pay, and you know, um, but they're not interested, Bo, at all, in you know how much of my insurance are you going to cover? They don't care about that now. It's just mm -hmm. so so different with this generation, and the better administrators get cued into that the more likely they'll be in recruiting and potentially retaining that particular generation of, of students and, and, or rather of teachers. And I don't know if that answered your question. I think maybe I took some liberties with that, but that, that's kind of where I ran. No. Yeah. Um, speaking of four day school week, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Um, did you notice any kind of, did you get more applicants when teachers realized, Oh, they're on a four day school week or did it just, was there really no changes? Well, you know, certainly people perked up at job fairs when we mentioned, hey, we're on a four-day week. Uh, they're like, really? Huh? Really? You get Fridays off? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that always got people, I think, to, you know, to kind of lean in and, and ask us about it. And, and the thing that I always told people about the four-day week was, you know, you get into February and March and teachers are tired. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. they're tired in February and March. And I would tell you on a four-day week, my teachers were tired too, but they weren't that tired. Not right. as tired as a five-day week. Yeah, I spent most of my career on a five-day week. And that first year or two on the four-day week, I was like, wow, this is, it's very, very different. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it wasn't like you had to cram five days into four. It was, you know, it was, it was a little bit different in how, in how you went about delivery of instruction and, and teaching and learning, but it definitely, I think it helped us. I really do. I, I don't know if it helped us necessarily in retaining, um, but it definitely helped us on the recruiting side. Yeah. We're, uh, my district's thinking about going to it, uh, next year and we're in the process of, you know, coming up with those answers to questions and things like that. So yeah, I was interesting to hear that you. I've worked under that before. So, well, and I would tell you this, you know, whether it's going to a four day week from a five, going to a block schedule away from, you know, a traditional seven or something like that, it isn't just as simple as, oh, hey, we'll just come to come to work four days a week instead of five. Uh, there's tremendous amounts of professional development if it's going to be done right so that mm -hmm. the teachers are genuinely using their time for teaching and learning. Um, and maybe in much more efficient ways, um, mm -hmm. because no matter how you slice it, you know, when you go from, you know, 188 days to 148 days or something like that, even if you extend the number of minutes, it, it's, it's still, it's different. And having, having some ways to ensure that we aren't just covering the same amount of content, but that, that we're reaching the same learning outcomes uh, that definitely takes some professional development in order to, mm -hmm. to be effective with that. So talented or, you know, even certified or qualified teachers seem to be a dime a dozen uh, right now. 
What do you think needs to happen in the world of education in order to make the profession more attractive? And I know you mentioned, um, you know, some things with the younger generation, but in general, you know, what, what needs to happen to make it more attractive to young people? Yeah, I think, I think there's a handful of things. Um, you know, certainly salary is, is a big part and, you know, we can, we could probably do two or three whole shows just about teacher salary all by itself. But the places where salaries are better, where teachers can earn a genuinely good quality of life are not struggling near as much as, you know, some of the other parts of the country. I mean, there, there are places where teachers are starting, you know, at 50, 60, 70,000 a year. And there are still places in our country where teachers are starting at less than 35,000 a year. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think the bottom line is, and this is something that has to be done legislatively. And I don't know if we'll ever get there legislatively, but if we're not willing to pay and treat our teachers like the professionals that they are, like the highly educated individuals that they are, we're going to continue to have a group of people that, you know, less and less of them are going to say, yeah, you know, I, I can make more money bartending than I can teaching. And that's not a joke. You know, I, mm -hmm. I had a teacher that, you know, I think she was probably in about her seventh or eighth year that worked for me when I was a superintendent and she made more money bartending than she did uh, on the weekends than she did teaching. And, mm -hmm. you know, how do you expect, you know, a professional to put more time and effort into the career that's paying them less than say their side hustle. And mm -hmm. um, I think that's a big part of it. I think there's, there's gotta be something that, I, and I don't know the exact right way to say this, but there's gotta be something that allows for educators to just simply do their job. Um, I think, I think we have become much more, oh man, uh, we've gotten pulled a whole lot more into the political game. We've gotten, you know, really tied up in so many pieces of legislation and um, honestly, some big overreach from certain groups of parents that, you know, we, we got to let our educators, our professional educators, our highly educated educators, we got to let them teach, we gotta let them do their jobs and trust mm -hmm. them as the professionals that they are. Because right now, man, there's just, and again, this goes back to the narrative piece. This isn't, this isn't true across the board, but there are loud, small minorities that want to really say negative things about educators. And I think it makes it tough for, for somebody to either want to go into or to continue when, you know, you're being harassed for doing a phenomenal job. I think that's mm -hmm. a big, big piece right now. I really do. I hate to have to even talk about it. Um, but you know, I see it a little bit too frequently and it's, it's troubling. So what are some quote unquote sales pitch strategies that you've seen work in the recruiting process from an employer standpoint? Man, I've, I've seen so many different strategies. Um, you know, I've seen some districts that, you know, put big, huge signing bonuses out, um, you know, we, we would push really hard when we and I was a superintendent, you know, for, you know, the four day week and the, you know, um, you know, the free skiing and, you know, some of those types of things. I, I don't know that there's a sales pitch that works. I think, you know, people want to work 
for people that make them feel seen and heard and valued and trusted. And, you know, the, the, I realize you got to get them in the building. You got to get them under contract for those things probably to happen. But I think the more our leaders are focused on building that positive culture, that collaborative culture, and I don't mean forced collaboration. I mean, just genuinely a collaborative culture where everybody has an opportunity to, again, feel seen and heard, uh, valued and trusted. To me, that's that's the most important piece that we can do. It's, you know, every a lot of people will talk about, boy, you know, we're a family here, we're a family here, but, you know, to genuinely create that culture where everybody feels like they're part of it, you know, and where they feel like they're part of something special. It's not a sales pitch, but I think that's the best way you go about keeping people. Yeah, I agree. So like when we all we've all had them in the applicant pool, you know, you have that veteran teacher that for whatever reason, they feel like they need to make a change. Um, they're obviously mm -hmm. looking for a place with a positive and a good culture. Uh, what does that look like within a successful school? And how can you use it to recruit those talented individuals? I'll tell you a couple of things uh, to me with with school culture. Uh, when I first went to the high school where I became an assistant principal, um, our culture was not positive. We were really good at catching people doing things wrong. And that was kind of our, that was kind of our focus. And, you know, we were, you know, partway through my first year, we had a, had a really good staff meeting. And um, I, I think, you know, some things were said and some questions were asked that, that gave us the opportunity to think about how do we really want to lead our school? You know, instead of worrying about, you know, what are we doing about hats and cell phones? How about we start, you know, shifting our mindset to look for the great things that are happening in our school instead of the bad things that are happening? You know what? As the discipline and attendance guy, I spent probably 95% of my time on 4% of our kids. You know, I, I did 2,200 mm -hmm. discipline referrals with 1,100 kids and, you know, in my first year and kids with two or more, that was only 4% of our kids, you know, but boy, we spent a lot of time on, on the negatives. So, you know, when, when you're looking for, for a school with positive culture, I think you're looking for a place where they are celebrating the positive things that kids are doing and the positive things that adults are doing. I think it also, you know, when, when you're looking for a place with great culture, you're looking for a place where collectively the educators are learning together. Um, I have a, a great connection with a teacher in North Carolina, a guy named David James. And at David's school, uh, Harold Winkler Middle School, every Friday morning, they do professional development that's not scheduled. It's not anybody, you know, it's not the, the, the principal's not driving this. It's not mandated. It's every Friday morning, they come together as a collective building and anybody who wants to, they get on the schedule and they share best practices they're doing in their school. To me, that's great culture. Um, mm -hmm. the, the second piece I'll tell you, sometimes you can just feel it. You know, there's just, there's a feel, there's a vibe to a school that has that great culture. You can tell when you talk with the kids, you can tell when you watch the kids in the hallway, when you talk with other staff members that there's there's just a certain electricity to it. Uh, you know, I remember our, our Jostens rep would come into our school, you know, several times a year. And he told me frequently, he's like, Darren, there's just something about your school. It just feels different. And, 
we'd poured a lot of time and effort and energy into focusing on building and maintaining that positive culture and climate. And, you know, those were some of the payoffs when we heard things like, man, your school just feels different. I don't know what the look for is on that piece. It's just, it's a feel. So one thing that I think that employers forget to talk about during the recruiting process is career progression. And, you know, from my perspective, I'm an AD by day. Um, when I'm hiring a coach, I, I do forget, like maybe interviewing a young person that wants to coach and wants to teach. I sometimes forget, hey, do you want to be, what's your goals? What's, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a head coach? Do you want to, you know, things like that. I think that's forgotten more often than we think. How important is that to discuss with an applicant? And I don't know when you would do that. Maybe it's in the, you know, that sales pitch period or during the interview or maybe even after you hire them. Um, how important is that to discuss? Yeah, I think, I think, Bo, it's extremely important. And I would tell you the answer to when you do that is all of those. Uh, and I mm -hmm. think you're definitely asking in the interview process, you know, where, where do you want to see your career go? I mean, don't ask the, where do you see yourself in five years question that, that right. one's, nobody wants to answer that one, but asking about career aspirations is a different thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think that's a big piece. I think, you know, certainly after, you know, you have hired them, you know, it's, you know, what are your aspirations? You know, where do you want to be in, in a couple of years? You know, do you see yourself, you're talking about coaches, you know, if I've, you know, hired a, a new sophomore boys basketball coach, you know, do you have aspirations to be a head coach? You know, is that something that you really want to do? Or, you know, are you happy coaching on the boys side? Are you interested in coaching on the girls side or, you know, that kind of thing. And then I think it's, it's not only, learning about what are some of those aspirations they have, but you got to find opportunities to help them grow. Uh, you know, certainly my, my big wheelhouse is leadership development. So when I'm working with schools, that's one of our big conversations is what are we doing to build the bench? You know, I mean, right now the leadership pipeline, people fly through the leadership pipeline so much faster mm -hmm. than they used to. And so be it. That's all right. That means people are maybe not going to be quite as ready as, as they would have been, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, but it doesn't mean that we don't have opportunities to help them be prepared. So finding mm -hmm. those, those simple opportunities or committees or, you know, what, whatever to get a little taste of leadership and, and start to learn from others as, you know, you know as an observer of leadership, I think that's a really important part. So yeah, absolutely. Career progression. Um, and that ties right into retention too. You know, if, if I know, if I know Bo is my AD and I am the freshman football coach, but someday I want to be a varsity football coach. And I know that Bo knows that about me and he's going to find opportunities to grow me. There's a pretty decent chance. I'm going to stick around where mm -hmm. if you're not making that attempt, if you're not having that conversation and you know, the head coach across town runs into me at the store and we start having a conversation. I might be out the door, right? Because yeah. I may very well want to progress in my career and I might not see that opportunity coming from you. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a very good point. So speaking of retention, you know, there's another group of people that we got to worry about. Um, can't forget about them. That's your current employees and 
you know, retaining employees can often be just as hard as recruiting new ones. Uh, what are some factors that you believe contribute to employee retention? Or actually satisfaction, yeah, sorry. Yeah, satisfaction. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. And I, I think it still goes back to culture. I think that's a huge, huge, huge piece. I think leadership, that consistency in leadership is really, really big. Um, you know, when when we see when we see schools or school boards across the country, you know, uh, deciding to move on from a superintendent for, you know, for whatever reasons, those types of shakeups lead to instability in the organization. And that's where, you know, if you have employees that are not homegrown or, you know, didn't grow up in the town and, and are probably not as mobile, then those are the ones you could potentially lose, you know, when they start to see that instability in leadership and, and maybe they want to follow the leader going, you know, that, that goes to, goes to another school or goes to another district. They say, you know, I, I want to work with that leader. Um, mm-hmm. I think that development of culture and development of consistency is just so very important. And, and the other thing too, and this is something I think that, that gets lost frequently in leadership, but, um, we're, we're in the people business. I mean, that's what we do. We're about people. And if we're not leaning into the relationships with our employees, you know, you don't have to be best friends with every one of them, but you got to know about them. You need to know who they are as human beings, you know, know a little bit about their family, uh, go in and spend time with them, go and have conversations. Yeah. I, I, I push school leaders all the time to, put time on their, on their calendar to go visit with a teacher when they don't have kids in the classroom. You know, we, we go in when there's kids in the classroom all the time, right? I mean, it's walkthroughs all the time and, and, you know, we're collecting data or whatever we're doing, but sometimes we need to go in when they're on their prep and not steal Mm -hmm. their whole prep, but just five minutes, right? Just build those personal relationships. Uh, Number one, that definitely helps in retention, but and number two, man, why wouldn't you want to get to know the people around you? Again, it's yep. it's people business. So, you know, the more the more that leaders will will lean into that and and know the story of the individuals that they have as employees, the more likely you are to retain them. Because then, when something comes up as a challenge, they're more likely to feel that you're going to sit down with them shoulder to shoulder and help them figure it out, as opposed to them just saying, "I'm out of here." This person. This person doesn't care about me. I'm I'm leaving. So professional development is something that is widely talked about across really any in- industry in terms of being um, a driving factor of employee satisfaction and engagement. How important is PD both in the school or really just as a professional in general? I think it's huge. Um, you know, if if we're going to claim that we're preparing kids to be lifelong learners and almost everybody slaps that on their wall. That's part of almost everybody's, you know, mission statement is to, you know, create lifelong learners. Then we probably better put our money where our mouth is and we better do it too. Um, Now that said, the caveat with professional development is this, it can't simply be forced PD. We've got to work to provide professional development that genuinely fits a need and is helping teachers truly improve in their craft. Um, Pre-pandemic in my district where I was a superintendent, my 
my uh, instructional leadership team and I had been working really hard on moving in the direction of much more personalized professional development, where teachers had the opportunity to identify what really were some skills they wanted to grow, what were some things they wanted to focus on. Um, you know, sometimes we do have, you know, professional development for everybody across the board, but, um, you know, I think schools are getting a lot better at this. As, as somebody who is a professional development provider, I will tell you schools are getting a lot better at it. Not everybody, but more and more, they're starting to look at what are truly the needs that our teachers have and how do we best help them to fill those needs as opposed to just, hey, everybody, we're learning this this thing and we're going to expect everybody to do it. Mm-hmm. So work-life balance, we talked about that a little bit earlier, but um, that's that's something that I believe could be a major retention strategy if a administrator can figure that, figure out how to take care of their people and foster that healthy work-life balance. Um, do you have any tips or strategies that you've seen work for school leaders uh, to help support a healthy work-life balance? For their employees? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that school leaders can do is to model it for their employees. You know, if if you don't want your employees working all night long, don't send an email at 11 o'clock at night. Even if you're writing mm-hmm. an email at 11 o'clock at night, schedule send it for seven o'clock the next morning. You know, mm-hmm. just those simple little things that model that you're not going to work 24-7. You know, have have office hours, if you will, where you know, I'm not going to answer email after a certain point in time. I'm not answering the phone after a certain point in time. Yes, school leaders, if your superintendent calls, answer the phone. But but otherwise, you know, I'm not going to call my employees. I'm not going to ask them to call me. And, you know, let's let's kind of demonstrate, you know, what it's like to, to have that balance. Uh, not a huge fan of the phrase work-life balance because I think that's a true myth. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to have, you know, those times as we go through the ebbs and flows of a school year where we're a whole lot busier than other times. And mm-hmm. we got to lean into that a little bit too. And just know, you know, I mean, as a high school principal, I can tell you during the winter sports season, I wasn't home. I mean, it's right. just, that's how it is. You're an AD, you get this, you know, I mean, it was, you know, boys, basketball, girls, basketball, wrestling, uh, swim and dive, um, on and on. I can't even think everything else we have going on, you know, but then you got your activities going at the same time. And, mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, you're going to have some times when you're just, it's not going to be home as much, but when you can really lean into those opportunities to, uh, you know, to demonstrate that I, I think this is a good thing for us to do. Uh, another thing too, I'd tell you that, you know, if there are opportunities through, um, maybe through through human resources, through through the insurance program, something where there's some type of a wellness benefit that that's there. I would you know say leaders make sure you continue to share that with staff so that they know what it is, they know how to obtain that. If they have access to you know a fitness center or like our high school weight room, we always had open for all of our staff. You know that kind of stuff. Um, just make sure that they they have those things available. I'll tie my last thought on this to the personalized professional development. Uh, we did several professional development days where teachers worked off of cho- uh, off of choice boards, and we would we would give them opportunities on their choice board to, you know, take a walk. Um, I had a couple certified yoga instructors, so we'd have different time slots where 
or they were just going to do yoga and, you know, that kind of thing. So just provide as many opportunities as you can for people to, you know, not just be working 24 seven. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the best ways that maybe I'm a principal and I notice a teacher doing a really good job. Uh, maybe we, you know, for example, maybe I don't have the closest relationship with this teacher um, compared to other teachers in my building, but I noticed they're doing a really good job, but what are some ways that I could provide, you know, just recognize them for that outstanding performance and how would that help me retain them? And I would say, you know, to mm -hmm. preface that I probably need to improve that relationship with them, but how can principals or leaders just best recognize and yeah. foster an environment of outstanding performance to retain teachers? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll give you a couple, um, you know, first and foremost, you know, obviously celebrate the things that you want to see. You know, when, when we talk about building culture, it's all about focusing on the things that you want to see. Cause if you're looking for them, you're going to find them. So when you're looking for great performance in the classroom from your teachers, talk about that, you know, share that with them and not just simply a, you know, a sticky note or an email that says, Hey, great job. Be specific. What is it specifically that you are seeing that you really, really like? And, and one great way to go about that. One of my favorite strategies um, is just simply to ask questions. You know, I was in a classroom about a week and a half ago and, uh, you know, it was a simple thing, but, but it's a classroom that I've been in several times. It's a school that I've been working with for a couple of years. And, and the teacher had a drastic change in their room arrangement and her availability in the room was just off the charts. It was a beautiful arrangement. And, and, and I mean, I could have just simply said, you know, Hey, I love your room arrangement, but I, I took it a step further and just said, tell me more about it. You know, tell me, tell me what you're, how do you, you know, what do you feel good about with this? And, you know, what are some things your kids are saying? And I think the more you're curious with your staff, the more, number one, they're reflecting. And, and number two, they feel that they're seen and heard and valued and trusted when you are asking good questions, not why would you do this, but tell me more about that. You know, like really, truly be curious. I think that's a mm -hmm. huge, huge strategy right there. And I mean, it, it fosters that, that professional relationship when, when you're doing that. Um, the second thing I would, I would share with you, another school that I work with, a different school I was in a few weeks ago, and just a simple strategy that a teacher was using for keeping the cell phones out of hands. You know, in this particular school, they have those uh, little calculator hanger look at things, you know, they have numbers on them on the wall. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're in the classroom and the teacher's taking attendance. And she says, oh, I see number 17's not here. And the kid said, I'm right here. And she's like, no, you're not. And the kid went and put their phone in, in number 17. And she's like, okay, now you're here. Wonderful strategy done extremely well. Many of the teachers in that school are struggling with that exact thing. So what the administrator did was after class just said, any chance you would just share that at our staff meeting? And then mm -hmm. they found three or four other just simple strategies, classroom management strategies or engagement strategies that were happening. And they just did a share out. Um, I'll throw you one bonus one. Have your teachers lead an ed camp. Let them lead an ed camp on the things they're doing in their classrooms, the things that are really strong practices for them. 
And that's the best PD sometimes that that other teacher down the hallway. So you give mm-hmm. them those opportunities. They feel seen, heard, valued, and trusted. They feel like they are able to see their part of that grand vision of the school. And all of a sudden, you've got everybody working together as opposed to it just being an administrator trying to hold everybody together. Yeah. So just like employees want feedback from us, it's important to get feedback from them. Um, mm-hmm. But in my experience, you know, we can send out all these surveys and, you know, whatever else you want to send out to them. And we can expect, you know, there's a few honest answers in that. But the majority of them are just kind of checking a box and just doing it because they think they have to. How do we really get honest feedback if I'm a leader of a school? How do I get honest feedback without making them feel uncomfortable giving that honest feedback? And, you know, I want I want people to suggest improvements or solutions and things like that. But I think sometimes people really feel like, uh, boy, I hope I don't they don't see my email address attached to this or something like that. How do we get that honest feedback? Well, again, it goes back to relationships. Um, If you're not building relationships with people, um, probably the only honest feedback you're going to get is, you know, those four or five in your building who are just going to write the most scathing things and the others probably aren't responding that feel positive, but don't have any real like connection to you to feel like they need to provide positive feedback. So, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely build the relationships. And then I think it goes back to those, you know, those in-person conversations that you're having, you know, when you're popping into their classroom, when you're sitting out on a bench with them, you know, those kinds of things. When you've built relationships with your staff, you can ask for that feedback. Um, And then the other thing too is, is actually do something with that feedback. When, when Mm -hmm. people give you honest feedback and it's something that, that you can do something about and that you should do something about, do it because that reinforces that, hey, when I share, you know, Darren's actually listening to me. You know, he actually followed through with what with what I had asked him about. That could be a simple request. It could be, you know, hey, I wonder if maybe we consider a schedule changer or what if we did this or, you know, hey, I've got some ideas, you know, I think we want people to help us be problem solvers. You know, we don't want a bunch of thermometers running around our building just telling us what's wrong. We want thermostats that help us see, own, and fix the problem. So mm-hmm. you've got to then follow through as the leader. If you don't do that, that erodes that trust and you're never going to get really honest feedback. You just aren't. So I think that's, there you go, relationships and follow through. Mm-hmm. What do you believe is the most pressing need or issue right now in the world of education? Man, I wish I could just tell you one. Um, You know, we've touched on a few of them. You know, certainly recruitment and retention of high quality employees is going to be a challenge for us for a long time. And I mean, that's underlined by those other challenges, right? With, you know, the really high political pressures with, you know, fiscal challenges um, and, and some of those types of things. But I think I think really getting stability and leadership is is probably the biggest thing right now. You know, we over the last two or three years, we've gone through more leadership changes across the board in districts everywhere, probably at a considerably higher rate. I, I don't have any data or research on that other than the, my own my own observations, but 
the leadership turnover has been so much higher in the last two or three years than it's been in a long time that, you know, if we can get that stabilized and we can start to see some consistency and leadership, you know, on campuses and at the district level, um, I think that's going to help us with recruitment and retention. And, and obviously, the longer a leader is in their chair, the more comfortable they're going to be and, and able to address you know, those political challenges, the fiscal challenges, that type of thing. So I guess, you know, it, it shouldn't come as a big surprise coming from me, but but I'll take it right back to to the leadership piece. I think that's that's what we really have to lean into right now. Yeah, I'm with you. So maybe I'm an administrator or even a business leader or something like that, you know, listening to this and I've been, I've just been struggling, uh, whether it's finding the right people, keeping people around, what advice at the end of the day or words of encouragement would you have for somebody like that? Well, I would tell you when I transitioned from being an assistant principal to being a principal um, for a little over a year, um, man, I was a train wreck. I'll just say that. I was a mess uh, as, as a early career principal. And I was really fortunate in my second year um, previous superintendent retired, the, the new guy came in and believed heavily in leadership coaches. And I was able to pair up with a leadership coach and he absolutely changed my trajectory as a leader. And it, it's not that I didn't know how to lead. It's not that I didn't, you know, have the, the knowledge or the skill sets. It was that I needed that that other perspective. I needed that that independent set of eyes to help me see things a little bit differently, but also, you know, as a sounding board for me. So I would tell you, and, and leadership coaching has become so much more accepted in education. It used to be, you know, only those who are, you know, about to be, you know, given their walking papers were the ones who had coaches. Now, the most highly effective leaders are the ones who have a leadership coach. So I would tell you advice is, is definitely to lean in to somebody that can be a mentor or or even a professional leadership coach that gives you the feedback that can be a sounding board that can be the, you know, in case of emergency break glass, uh, a whole lot of my clients have got that with me where, you know, they just pick up the phone at any time and just call and say, man, I got something I got to remind you. I, I'm just not sure what to do with this or what are your thoughts on this? Um, and uh, I just think that's so beneficial. I mean, it really changed me. And I'll be honest with you. Now I'm in an, I'm in a completely different profession, and I'm still in education. But I'm I'm an entrepreneur now, and I have a coach because I'm learning new things all the time, and I'm I'm going through this process. So I think everybody can benefit from a coach. So that would be my advice. Yeah. And one last question here. Um, at the end of the day. And this is kind of a personal question, but what do you want your legacy to be? And what do you want people just to remember Darren Peppered by? Man, I love this question. And yeah, I've been thinking about this one a lot. I knew you were going to ask this one. And, you know, I think about, I think about all the time that I, you know, have spent in in the educational world and the the number of lives that I've, you know, had, you know, had the opportunity to touch or to impact. Um, I would hope that when all is said and done, 
that there would be some people who would say, you know, that's somebody who made a difference in my life. And if, if I, if I could hear that, you know, I'm no, I'm not, I don't even have a number for that one. It doesn't matter what the number is, but if, but if my legacy can be that I made an impact, that I made a difference in somebody else's life, then, you know, that's, that's pretty good right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think, uh, the, the good ones in education are in that for the same reason. And, you know, you didn't, you mentioned not even putting a number yeah. on it. If one's, one's enough for me, <laughs> if, if I get one person that tells yeah, me that, absolutely. then it's all, it's all worth it. So, well, Darren, yeah. I appreciate you coming on today, man. I, I enjoyed the, uh, the insight from your point of view and hopefully, you know, if there's any teachers or administrators or even business leaders out there listening to this, um, hope you can take bits and pieces of this and get better from it. And I know I did today and I look forward to following you and what you do in the, in the future. So thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Bo. I appreciate you having me on and thanks for, uh, honestly, honestly taking me down a completely different route, uh, with this podcast than a lot of the interviews I do. I, I really appreciate it. It was, it was a different kind of a conversation and I loved it. I really do. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the lead to win podcast. If you're listening this week, make sure to drop a rating on whatever app you're listening on. I'd love to hear from listeners and make this podcast even more relevant to you. Also, make sure to follow the Lead to Win podcast on social media. We're on Facebook, X, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Give us a follow and feel free to share the content. Again, thanks for listening this week. I'm your host, Bo Bergen. See you next Tuesday.